0: Welcome to the Myelin and Melanin Podcast with Dawn and Dana. We're just two women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. This is episode 17. 17. We have been rolling since January.
1: (laughs) And it's already August. Yes, it's already
0: like flying by. It's really unbelievable. (laughs) I know. Speaking of August, the summer, weather, heat how has the summer weather been treating you you know i have been pleasantly
1: surprised i i thought this was going to be dreadful like last year with you know 100 degree temps every single day but it's been
0: really tolerable for me this is random but are you um uh, over by you is all the flooding and rain and all that stuff going on um There was, I think like at the beginning of the summer, there
1: was in Ellicott City, which is maybe 20 minutes away from me. There was a lot of flooding, but not in my particular area. I'm not in a flood zone. I mean, we have been getting a lot of rain, um, which is good, you know, because it cools things off. But the only thing that, that really has been bothering me this summer is the humidity. But... It, it rains a few days later so it cools things down which is fine so yes. yeah how how's it been over for you i know wisconsin is similar to where not similar but kind of sort mm-hmm. of because i grew up in buffalo with cold weather but like how is wisconsin in this in the summers and you know they're when they um...
0: our well wisconsin has very defined seasons mm-hmm. um so the summers are usually pretty hot. It This summer has been, like, the past couple of days have been kind of mild in the 70s, which is perfect weather to me. And the humidity hasn't been too bad. Um, but tomorrow and Sunday, it's going to be, like, 90 and high humidity. So I'm kind of dreading that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm here in Milwaukee. I'm near the lake. So humidity is something that is gross. Um and the humidity is really what, you know, kind of gets me in terms of heat intolerance and heat sensitivity. Um, I can deal with hot. I, I don't like hot weather, but I can deal with it just being hot. But the stickiness is what kind of aggravates my MS symptoms and spasticity and all of that.
1: Right. It's a, it's as if you feel like a noodle. I I know I do. If I go limp. I'm so tired. I don't want to move. It's, I don't like the thickness, like you said, in the air. I even, yes. if, For example, even if I'm on an elevator, I, you know, I dread that too, because I'm thinking, oh God, it's hot out here. It's not going to be super cool until I get up in the building or wherever I'm going. And I don't like going in elevators because it's sticky and hot, you know? <laughs> yes. And it's hard to breathe in.
0: Yeah. Terrible. Yeah.
1: yeah and my paranoia gets out of control. So. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, so it's, you know, it, it's for me, it's been a change because I never was affected with, by heat and, um, not until maybe what year are we in 2000, maybe like three or four years ago mm-hmm. or probably three years ago. I, um, like I said before, in another podcast, I went to the beach with my family and, You know, we were on the beach in the sand and I had a hat on and, you know, there was, we were covered and then I stood up, but then I fell on the, you know, in the sand and I was just like, oh, so, um, so yeah, I've had to really change my thinking and change the way I, I do the summer (laughs) because, um, because I still want to enjoy. And I, last year I, I really became angry. And in years past I've become, you know, kind of mad where I'm like, God, my summers are taken from me? Are you kidding me? This is like the leisure time, you know, because yes. as a as a teacher, you get to kind of relax during the summers. And I, I said, What am I gonna do? I don't I don't know what to do. So, you know, you wear your cooling vest, which that, mm-hmm. that definitely helps. And then I just started, I said, Well, one day the cooling vest didn't help me because it was like a hundred degrees and my yes. car my I I like my car. I'm very thankful for my car, but I don't feel like it's MS friendly because it's so hot. That's a whole nother episode we could talk about uh-huh. later. But um, I just started to uh, recognize like, what can I do to kind of change my and shift like my thinking with how I yes. tolerate this? So I carry ice packs and I probably probably look a little nutty, but I don't care. I can stay cool. <laughs>
0: yes. That is a perfect segue into what we're going to be discussing today. So um, today's topic is going to be what is called paradigm shifting. Um, So we came up in paradigm shifting, and we'll get into what paradigm shifting means a little bit later in the podcast, but um, we came up with a list of 10 tips to kind of shift the way that one with MS can think about accomplishing everyday tasks, which may seem, um, it's kind of daunting when you think about things that you were used to or you were able to do um, pre-MS or pre, you know, when MS became symptomatic versus what you can do do now. It can be very depressing when you think about um, the deficits that you have and what you used to be able to do. But paradigm shifting kind of, um, it's a way for you to kind of reframe the way you think about doing everyday things to try and get the most out of life. So um, the 10 different tips that we came up with, and again, this will make more sense, hopefully, once we get into exactly what paradigm shifting means. Um, but yeah, the 10 tips. Um, what is your favorite tip, Don? My
1: favorite out of the 10, because we have a one Mm -hmm. through 10, um, is number three. Um, I think I've adopted it. It's, it's slow and steady wins the race. I absolutely love that one. I mean, amongst all the other ones too, but this one stands out for me because, um, you know, as we told our listeners before you and I both did Limtrada and we had the Limtrada infusion and, the mantra that we kind of all adopted was, this is not a sprint. It's a, mar- it's not a, mar- it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I, I always kept that in the, in the back of my mind. And I'm always thinking, okay, Dawn, slow down. You can't accomplish everything. you know." And my neurologist will tell me, look, you can do these things, but why don't you just cut, cut this in half? Do, do one thing per day. If you have to go to Target today and the grocery store today, choose one, the the one that's like high priority instead of trying to force yourself to do both. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And sorry, listeners, I probably should have gone through each of the 10 tips before I. Oh, yeah through Dawn into what's your favorite tip. So I'm um, just briefly go through the 10 tips and we'll post this on the website and on Instagram so that you can um, have a visual for what these 10 tips are. But the first tip, and we'll go through each of the 10 um, throughout the podcast, but the first tip is plan ahead. Number two is preserve your energy. Three is what Dawn was just talking about. Slow and steady wins the race. Four is less can be more. Five is reframe the narrative. Six is change your thoughts. Seven, don't look through the same lens. Eight, create your new normal. Nine, focus on what you can do. And 10, be kind to yourself and accept your accomplishments. Um, You know, I think, you know, you talked about three slow and steady wins the race. I think number five is what really sticks out to me. So, And this is really the... Um, kind of core of of what paradigm shifting is. So reframing your narrative, Mm -hmm. um, you know, instead of thinking about making a 10 course meal, for example, you might just want to reframe it and um, reframe it as making dinner. You know what I mean? And that, it may seem kind of basic, but just reframing the way that you think about what you're doing.
1: Well, it's like, make it makes a lot of sense, like chunking. And that's what they teach us um, as, as, you know, beginning teachers to chunk the information for students who are, you know, kind of uh, slow learners, if you will, but mm-hmm. you want to chunk things and make it easy for yourself. So what I do, like you said, for di- to, instead of a 10 course dinner, I was just visiting, you know, with my family, my parents, and mm-hmm. uh, I was making dinner and I, I got up early cause I'm an early bird and I said, okay, well, let me you know, what am I going to make? So I got in my head, what I well, I knew the night before what I was going to make. So I pulled everything out of the refrigerator, you know, everything that wouldn't be perishable and I put it to the side. And so I cleaned my vegetables, I chopped, I did everything that I could that was easy, if you will. And mm-hmm. I kind of I like this number five says, I've reframed the narrative for that day, for that moment or, or, or what I wanted to do, which was to accomplish my task was to cook dinner without being tired and having the stamina to stand up and stir mm-hmm. and, you know, watch it. So I just prepared everything early and then I sat down and by then it was, it was like not even 10 o'clock, I think it was 930. So I was done meal prepping for dinner by 10 o'clock. So that I had the rest of my morning to do what I needed to do or wanted to do.
0: Right. And that kind of, that example of making dinner, I think encapsulates a lot of these tips. So the planning ahead, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you planned ahead, you, you know, decided what you were making, chopped the veggies, you know, all that. So you planned what you were doing ahead in order for you to, number two, preserve your energy um and then that brings us into three slow and steady wins the race it wasn't like your goal was to make dinner in 30 minutes it was to make dinner yes you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and then it just that really i you know i think the idea of making dinner really does you know incorporate everything so reframing in the narrative changing your thoughts so dinner is no longer if you want to preserve your energy and all these things. It's no longer something that you can do in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's just not possible. So it's changing the way that you think about accomplishing your goal. Yes. If that makes that sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: And at the end for number 10, I, I was kind to myself because I, again, a lot of times, I don't know if other people with MS feel this way, but you get angry because you're like, oh, but I used to be mm-hmm. able to stand up and make a quick meal and not even worry about sitting down and not getting tired. You know, I used to get angry, like, you know, because of the things that I couldn't do. So I, I right. am now kind to myself. I'm cognizant and aware of you know what Dawn, your life has changed and you have to accept that. So I've accepted it and I'm proud of myself that I know what to do to make things better. If, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, to make it
0: easier, you know? Right. And I mean, that really incorporates number nine, focusing on what you can do. So it's no longer, you know, I can't have dinner prepared in 30 minutes but you can prepare dinner. You know what yes. I mean? It's just focusing on the positive and not, and I am a, I'm definitely not a glasses half full type thinker. That's just not me. And it's very easy to get depressed and, you know, muddled in thinking about what I can't do anymore. But, you know, it takes very conscious thought to think about or to keep things focused on what I can do. hmm you know, and I think that that's so, so important, so necessary for number eight, creating your new normal. Right. Yes.
1: And you're not the only one, Dana. I mean, and it took me a long time. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and proclaim to be an expert at all, you know, these 10 tips because it takes a minute right. to get there. And, you know, yes. I'm 18 years into this disease. I'm 18 years, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a lot. It, it really, it becomes, you know, such a life altering, shifting thing for you to, and you, you really have to, you know, transfer all of the negative thoughts for me, I you know, yes. and, and think about, okay, well, what can, what can I do instead of saying can't, because as more, as much as I say, can't, I won't be able to do anything and
0: I'll be miserable. Yes. Oh. Yes and i think that the idea of shifting the paradigm and shifting one's thoughts is something that is useful for anybody with ms to do no matter what stage um your disease is in or what limitations you have or what limitations you don't have yet it's a i think a really positive way to think about things and to not get kind of stuck in this rut of you know kind of woe is me I, you know, my life is miserable. And, you know, I think that's something that anybody with this disease or any chronic illness has um, faced Absolutely. Um, as he or she has come to terms with having this disease. But yeah, but it's something that's useful for anybody at any stage of any stage of their disease. Yeah. I, I am curious
1: to talk to my neurologist when I see her, um, on my next appointment in September, I want to talk to her about, you know, paradigm shifting. So it's interesting to hear what doctors, you know, think and what their perspective is or, or neuro, let me be, let me be specific neurologists. It's, it's interesting. To hear. Yes. So I'm happy, um, to, to chat with, you know, several, several physicians about it.
0: Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Aaron Boster to talk with us. Dr. Boster is a part of the Ohio Health MS Center, which is located in Columbus, Ohio. We'd like to welcome you, Dr. Boster. Thanks for taking time to chat with us.
2: Oh, my goodness. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you for being here. Yes, um, Ohio, the great state of Ohio. Uh, Dr. Buster, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, I decided to be an MS doc when I was 12, believe it or not. Um, I grew up in a home where my uncle had MS. And I remember rather vividly, uh, I went into the kitchen, my mother and grandmother were sitting at the table there and they were crying. Now, they weren't crying because Uncle Mark had MS. He had had MS for quite some time. He was in the other room in a wheelchair. They were calling because they had a problem and they couldn't get a hold of their doctor. And this mm-hmm. predates the interwebs. It, it predates you know the mass involvement of societies like the National Mass Society. And m- my family was scared. You know They didn't know what to do. I told my mom that I was going to learn to do it better. And I always mm-hmm. joked that I didn't really know what I was telling her. I didn't know I'd finish the 27th grade or be balding before I was yeah. done. <laughs> you know, I knew that no one... Uh, should make my family feel that way, and no family in central Ohio uh, struggling or impacted by m s should be made to feel that way and that kind of led me on a rather unusually direct trajectory um, mm. through my education you know i was I was uh, pursuing my education knowing I wanted to be an m s doc
1: Wow, so can I just ask, was this like thirty plus years ago?
2: yeah yeah it was a while ago i'm not uh, I'm not twelve any longer <laughs>
1: <laughs> right right but I mean, I'm just trying to like I know you know certain uh pharmaceutical drugs weren't out back then, so you know oh, yeah, this
2: predates, uh, this predates uh, the advent of disease modifying therapies
0: mm-hmm. oh wow
2: you know, so the first m s therapy, as you're well aware, came out in ninety three and this was uh, you know several years before that.
0: Oh my
1: goodness! Wow. So your interest MS stemmed from seeing your uncle. I assume you were pretty close to him. Seeing your uncle in this state and just wanting to help him.
2: Well, yeah, wanting to help him and wanting to help my family. Mm -hmm. You know, I um, you know, I I got to witness the natural history of multiple sclerosis, which is a doctor's way of saying if you don't do anything, what happens? Right, and, and you know, one of the things that I think probably drives me is I want other patients and I want other families to have chances that my uncle and my family never had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's um, it's more than just a you know a nine to five job for me. This is something that I'm pretty passionate about, and. Um, you know, to some degree, it kind of defines me. If I'm honest,
1: that's beautiful, and I can absolutely agree because you giving lending your time to us. This definitely speaks to this is like a full time, all day, every day. Yes. You know, this is your I life.
2: Have to, I, exactly. I have to give a shout out to my wife because they put up with me. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, there's no way I could, I could pull off the things that I do if it wasn't for them.
1: Yes. Thank your wife and your family for us, please. Um, (laughs) But can I ask one more question about your uncle? Which form of uh, MS did he have? Primary progressive, secondary progressive, relapsing remitting, which, which form? He was
2: diagnosed uh, in his thirties with a relapsing form of MS. Uh, Mm -hmm. My childhood, I remember him being progressive. I remember when I was sixteen, he was, uh, you know, he had been in a wheelchair for you know five six years, and um, in his in my grandparents' uh, attic, it was kind of like a museum of his disability. My sister and I would wow. sneak up there, and there'd be a single prong cane, and there'd be a quad cane, and there'd be you know Canadian crutches, and then you know normal crutches, and then walkers, and then wheelchairs, and you know we would you know we would sneak up there and try to understand what they were and stuff. I remember right. as a kid.
1: Mm hmm. Okay. Wow. So, and back then, were they class like categorizing the different types of MS? I know it was kind of like fresh and new, and people were still not
2: fresh and new, but people were still researching. For sure. Uh, you know, the, the the words that we use today, for example, we talk about relapsing forms of MS today. Back then, they talked about relapsing or mm-hmm. remitting MS. You know, today we have a much better understanding for trans- transitional states of MS and secondary progressive MS. But they had terms like secondary progressive MS back then. There's an antiquated term, chronic progressive MS, that was kicked around back then also. So, you know, the, the verbiage, just like in any other field, kind of evolves with the field. Uh, but, you know, there was, there was still an attempt back then of identifying when people were having attacks and when people tended to mm-hmm. get worse in their disability independent from attacks.
1: So, and last question I have, I'm sorry, before we really get into it. And so how long have you been, been practicing?
2: Um, you know, just shy of 15 years now. Um, but I have to tell you, when you're going through, you know, you go through med school after undergrad, in the second two years of med school, you're in clinics. So you're, you're not in class anymore. It doesn't really feel like class. It feels like you're working and you're taking care of. People. And then, you know, internship is a year and residency, you know, is three more years. And so for those four years, you're really working. Um, you know, and then in fellowship, obviously, you know, that was in MS clinics every day. So uh, it, it it feels like uh, a long time.
1: It sounds like your entire life you've been practicing uh-huh. <laughs> mentally, you know, and physically. Right. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. It has to be amazing just looking at um, the progression of oh. MS, just, you know, from no therapy to You know,
2: you're absolutely right. Um, And and I tell people if you have to have multiple sclerosis, now is the best time in in history to have it. Yes. You know, I I really Mm -hmm. firmly believe that the early application of highly effective medicines coupled with legit wellness you know, paying attention to diet and vitamin D supplementation and staying physically active and avoiding vitamin D. You know, this is the recipe for making MS boring. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the recipe for thriving Mm -hmm. and and achieving in life and being the most awesome version of you, despite having happened to, you know, have MS.
0: I love that. Yeah, right. (laughs) I do too.
2: That's kind of where we are these days. And it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. we've, we've literally, you know, kind of flipped the script, so to speak. We, our expectations are no longer uh, delaying the time to wheelchair mm-hmm. or decreasing the frequency of s- attacks by a third. Mm-hmm. You know, we have goals in clinic nowadays of no evidence of disease activity. You know, we don't want to see Jack, right. You know, we have, we have, we have goals of, of no new spots on MRI. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk to people about confirmed disability improvement mm-hmm. It's a it's a brave new world, and I'm not selling snake oil. Like we can pull that off with every right. patient, every every time. But, but we're getting closer and closer to making this disease bend to our will, and that's that's
0: pretty awesome. It really it is. is. And all this kind of brings us kind of full circle to what we wanted to chat um, with you about. So um, we recently saw the video that you did about paradigm shifting. And And that that is is, so fascinating to me. So can you tell our listeners, what is paradigm shifting in the context of MS?
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, and I want to thank you guys for giving me a forum to kind of talk about this because it's such a underappreciated concept. And yet it is so instrumental into people being successful with this condition. Um, Paradigm shifting is really taking a look at how you accomplish a task and doing it differently to accomplish the same goal, but through a different means, mm-hmm. and just you know, conceptually, you think about you've got your entire family on a sailboat, and you're out uh, at sea, and this and the mast mm-hmm. breaks. You know, so you've got your family out at sea, and you have to get them back to safety. There's no other options, of course, but you can't use the sail. So, what do you do? You know, you can't sail back. But maybe there's an outboard motor. Maybe there's paddles. Maybe you have a cell phone and you can call the Coast Guard. you know my, my point is is that you get your family back. you just don't do it the way you came in mm-hmm. and there's so many times in the life of of the people that I work with, the people impacted by ms and their families, where they grieve the loss of a function
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and, and, and we have to grieve a loss. you know that we have to give a moment and grieve the loss of a function, but then we have to figure out how do we accomplish that task despite the fact that we can't do it the way we used to. And, and I'll give you a real world example. And it's an example that really plucks at the heartstrings of men. And, and that and, and to be very blunt, that has to do with mowing the lawn. Mm. In, in our culture, a lot of men determine a lot of their self-worth By the by, the quality of their lawn care, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a almost a misogynistic kind (laughs) of like, you know, it's my lawn, you know. And and what I mean by that, you know, I learned to mow my lawn by my father taught me on a twenty-one inch mower, you know, when I was when I was eleven or twelve, and I've mowed my lawn the same freaking way ever since then. (laughs) And most men do that, you know. And a lot of times, what that means is around noon or one o'clock on Saturday, when the sun is in full view. You go out, and you knock out the whole darn thing in one fell swoop. Two hours, you kill it, and then you put the mower away, and you come inside. Right. And a lot of guys with MS, because of heat sensitivity and motor fatigue, you know, they can't do that. And I've seen guys that can't think through alternative ways of accomplishing lawn care, and it, and it hurts mm-hmm. them. You know, it emotionally makes them feel not complete. And so, you know, we sometimes will game out um, different options and we'll, we'll talk about paradigm shifting. For example, you could wake up Saturday morning, you know, pretty darn early, you know, maybe eight o'clock even before the sun's fully up and mow the front half of your lawn before it gets really hot out, making sure that you wear a cooling vest and making sure that you bring water, you know, ice water. And then you go inside and recuperate and enjoy your Saturday. And then Sunday before church, you knock out the back half. Mm. Now Sunday evening, you get your man points. You know, you mowed your lawn; it's looking great. You know, and and you did it, but you had to change how you did it, and and that's really the crux of paradigm shifting. Mm-hmm.
1: I Dana and I were talking just kind of casually, before you know, when we were talking about paradigm shifting, and uh, it's I I can't say that this is the same as mowing the lawn, but I was like. What do you do when you're out with your friends and and you could tell me if this sounds silly or not but if you're out with your friends and then you know it's a summer night and you're you're used to hanging out and enjoying your life and just because you have MS you don't want to be you know closed up inside and then they say yeah. oh do you want to sit outside or do you want to sit inside and your entire party wants to sit outside and you know it's hot you know you have heat sensitivity what do you do so ahead of time I'm thinking okay what is my plan I know that my, my group wants to go outside. So I'm going to get my cooling vest, get my ice packs, you know, so that I can enjoy this time out with my friends or something. So it's kind of like paradigm shifting, but like when you're having fun versus doing, you know,
2: you're work. absolutely right. You know, and there's a couple different ways you could paradigm shift just to talk through that for a second. You know, one thing, and, and I think that's a brilliant idea, I'm going to go outside and hang out with my buddies. I'm just going to cool myself while I do mm-hmm. it. Um, we have a, a, a patient and his family I, we've become very close with. I consider them personal friends. And they have a mister, you know, like a, not, a, not a man, but, a, you know, like a, a thing that sprays water, <laughs> a mister. <Yes>. Uh- <laughs> they have it set up over the door frame um, as they go out on their patio. And so my buddy will sit in his wheelchair under the mister and it keeps him cool, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So, so that's a great idea. You know, another paradigm shift is to say to your friends, Hey guys, I'm stoked that I get to hang out with you tonight. I actually have heat sensitivity. And if I go outside, you're probably gonna have to carry me back inside. So would you mind if we just went out for a little bit and then maybe we hang out inside because your friends, you, you know, that's your village right. and your, your village can paradigm shift for you, yes. you know." And and so it works both ways. But the point is you want to have an awesome evening in this great example. You know, you want to enjoy life and enjoy your friends. And so you might have to paradigm shift how you make that happen, but it's still going to happen. Right.
0: Yes, absolutely. I really like Um, that concept of your friends paradigm shifting for you or with you as well. I think that that's, that's really key.
2: That's exactly right. You know, I see this a lot with uh, spouses. So um, someone with MS who has accrued a degree of disability is now um, dependent to some degree on the assistance of their spouse. And they worry, they genuinely worry that they're a burden. Mm -hmm. And, And I oftentimes, in the presence of the spouse, will remind them of their marriage vows, You know, and I would, I say to them, if the spouse was ill, you wouldn't let them complain. You would tell them, shut up. This is, I love you. And, and, you know, I'm here to support you. So in the same breath, you have to allow them to honor their vows. You have to allow this key village member to paradigm shift and help you. And, And you have to accept that in the same way that you would make them accept that. And so, you know, the, the the village shifting with you and you paradigm shifting with the village is just part of the deal.
1: It is absolutely. And I think it leads to my question for you, like, which we've kind of touched on already. How can these MS, how can MS patients, you know, achieve their goals through all of these shifting or this, this shifting? And I, and like you said, the village steps in to help. That's one, one way to achieve your goal, asking for help. Yeah. And that was something that Dana and I talked about before, like a lot of times we become so stuck in our ways and, you know, wanting to do things our, our own way and and feeling as if we're a burden if we do ask for help. But mm-hmm. it's, it's important to, to ask and, you know, because you, you get in, into a, a I guess a situation where you can't move or you want to move, but you, you know, um, you're just having trouble. Right. And so you're like, okay, what do I do? How do I shift my thinking here? Because I want to get over to that door, but I don't know how to to get there. Well, you've got to have somebody step in and help you and change your way of thinking, change your narrative, reframe your narrative and, you know, just get it done.
2: You're exactly right. And I and I think you, you know, I, I wanna highlight something you said because you started talking about goals. So if the goal is traverse the room safely, and that's the goal, then then we're gonna achieve the goal. Now, there's a secondary goal of I wanna do it alone unassisted. Mm-hmm. But that might not be plausible or safe. Right, right. And so the shifting comes and saying, "Okay, I will accomplish my goal of traverse the room safely. I'm going to have to ask this stranger if they would please give me a hand so I can stand up." And that that's not an easy thing to accept, and I and I respect that. But if the, if you identify the goal, and in this case it's to get across the room, well, then you're going to figure it out to achieve that goal.
1: I, I think that MS, I can speak for myself, has taught me how to problem solve so much more than like before yeah. I, I've become so, you know, aware of pretty much every step that I take, you know, I'm even, I can quote staying here, but, but I really yeah. have, have become like this master of, Okay. If I go to Whole Foods this morning, will I have enough energy to go to Target later? You know, I've got to figure out a way to turn my day into a day that works for me and not.
2: Amen. That is, that is spoon theory if I've ever heard it described. And, and that is an, that is a form of paradigm shifting. Mm -hmm. You know, I hear you saying something beautiful. I don't have unlimited energy. My functional reserves aren't what they were when I was 18. Mm-hmm. You know, and with MS and with the heat of the day, my my functional reserves might diminish. So I'm gonna be planful about what I do so I can get the important stuff done. Yes. You know, that's that's brilliant. And you know, say, okay, I gotta get these six chores done, but if I do all six, tomorrow I'm in bed. So I'm gonna play it smarter, not harder. I'm gonna do the three that I gotta get done. And the ones that I can wait on, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that, is, that is spot on as far as, you know, uh, shifting the paradigm so that you accomplish your goals and yet, you know, you can navigate through what you have in front of you. You know, that's why I love spoon theory so much. I think it's so helpful for people to understand, you know, you okay. start the day with Are the hypothetical certain number of spoons and everything you do costs the uh, a spoon. Mm-hmm yeah maybe you know, maybe getting dressed and brushing your teeth, getting your your clothes on, et cetera oh, no. and I that's a full spoon question. you know and and when we are people, you know we start the day with are like you? infinite number of spoons, and as we age and also in the setting of a chronic illness like m s we don't have as many spoons to start the day,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so hence the desire to be planful, I think that's really fantastic,
1: yes, and you know it it takes a lot to accept your new normal it it really does for me it did and as you know we've spoken you you know my neurologist uh, pretty well she I used to go into her office and I think she would become so frustrated with me and uh, because I was doing a lot and doing so much and she finally just sat me down and said stop doing everything in one day stop being superwoman
2: yeah that's (laughs) exactly right yeah yeah, you know, and and your neurologist is uh, you know about as uh, amazing as they come. Uh, she's a brilliant and very very wise woman. Um, you know, and, and I, I I just I love her to death. I think that planning and changing and paradigm shifting isn't easy. It's not an easy thing to no. do. And it sounds like you're just like, oh yeah, I just do it differently. But but a lot of there's a lot of emotions tied up in yes. this, and there's a lot of there's a lot of pride. Um, you know, and, 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 these are real things that we have to grapple with because you might, uh, have always been able to just kill it and just go 60 miles an hour, you know, all day long. And, and when you're no longer able to do that, it doesn't mean that you're not a, a worthy person. It just means that you can't
0: do it that way any longer.
1: Right. Well, I, I'm sorry, Danny, do, do you have a
0: question? No, I was just going to say, it's really requires that we look at things through different lenses we can't yes. look at yes, things sure. through the same lens it's just not possible it, it's you know, it is what it is and that sounds like a very basic statement but sometimes that's that's just kind of the key to um to reframing the narrative just accepting things as they are and moving on from there if that makes sense you, you're
2: exactly right and you, you know and it's it's applicable in the daily life of people impacted by ms it's ubiquitous. You know, you could take work as an example. Uh, You you know, I have, I have patients that if they had to go in five days weekly to their job, particularly in the Ohio winters, they would maybe not be able to maintain their job, Mm -hmm. but through reasonable work accommodations, they might stay home every other day, or they may stay home on Wednesday. Now they work, but they work from home. And what they're doing is they're reserving their energy. So instead of all of the energy or spoons they would normally expend to get their tush to the office, they're able to knock it out at home. Mm-hmm. And and this is an example of having to look through a different lens. They they're still extremely valuable employees, but they had to paradigm shift in order to maintain that type of employment. Absolutely. Yes.
1: Yeah, making reasonable, I, I had definitely had to do that a few times with my job, uh, making reasonable accommodations, because um, it was becoming quite challenging. And as a, I was a teacher for a number of years, like almost 20 years now, but... Um, wow. Yeah, I I finally said, "Look, I can't do this. You guys have to help me out." And so they gave me a classroom that had that was close to the elevator and literally like three steps from the restroom. So, it made my life a lot easier and I was I can commend them for that because um it 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 didn't make my day as crazy and wacky as teachers' days can be sometimes.
2: <laughs> you know, but let's let's also give credit to you because you, you know, you had to ask for those things. You know you had to say, "Hey, listen, in order for me to thrive and to be able to help these children, I have to uh, have some accommodations. So you deserve a lot of credit for for having to initiate that kind of process. yes,
1: yes, yeah, it it yes. was hard because I didn't want to seem like I was trying to be difficult, you know or or different yeah. so yeah, yeah
2: let me let me bring up an aspect of paradigm shifting. Which um, sometimes uh, we don't think through, and, and, and you know, this has to do, for example, with someone who no longer wants to go visit family and friends. You know, there are people that uh, really uh, suffer from social isolation. Are you guys able to hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Sorry, um, you know, and and they maybe because of motoric difficulties or bladder difficulties or whatever, they just choose to stay at mm-hmm. home and. I remind people that, you know, when they say, oh, I don't want to be a burden, it's in some ways, to be very frank, kind of selfish because they're denying the world them. You know, they're denying their village the opportunity to have the the to be around them. And and that's not really fair to the village. And so, you know, having to do things a bit differently and maybe having to change how you go about leaving your home or what needs to happen to make that a reality. Or how much time you spend out, or what you do, these are all things that are secondary. Um, but it just hurts my heart when you know people with MS, because of various reasons, they sort of shell up and hide. And and there's a, a form of paradigm shifting, seeing the value they provide to the rest of the world mm-hmm. to allow them, you know, to to go out and despite those limitations.
1: That we we uh, you know it's funny you said that because we did talk about that as well just creating your own bubble we talked about that maybe like I don't know four or five episodes back and um, it, it, you do create this safe space for yourself and you don't want to you know venture out and see families, friends, no one you know because you feel like I know I have gone through that where I feel as if I'm a burden and Dana can speak to that because she talks about that as well uh, feeling as if she's a burden to her family. And, um, it's,
2: you know, so there's, there's some paradigm shifting there too, you know, seeing your family loves you and, and they want to be around you. And it, and if they have to be around you in a different way, you know, your family's going to embrace that because they embrace you. And so that you're right. That is a form of paradigm shifting. And and I want to point out again, that that's not easy, you know, talking about it, you know, is, is easy, but implementing it that's a tough thing to do, and that that requires a lot of bravery. You know, I like to define bravery as doing something despite being scared, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that in order to thrive in order to paradigm shift, sometimes we have to just be downright brave
1: right, and it's tough it's so <laughs> it's really hard for people, and for me, it's been um i I think we might have lost Dana. I don't know. Do you hear her?
2: It doesn't look. She's kind of grayed out here, and she's typing. I can't hear you guys. Okay. Um, don't stop recording. So okay. I guess we can just keep on. Keep yeah, on if that's, okay that's
1: fine. I I have one question for you. I used to be a, a runner, and so maybe our listeners can understand. Like, you can talk about. This is an exercise question. I used to run four miles every day. I was very, very much like an avid runner. So what do you tell someone who is still wanting to exercise, but having gait issues and maybe, yeah. you know, how do you paradigm shift if that is like your passion? That's, that was my passion. So what would you tell someone? Like how?
2: That's a fantastic question. Um, you know, and I've, I've done a couple of YouTube videos on Tricks and tips to exercising successfully, but you know, let's kind of walk through it together. Pun certainly not intended. Okay, you know, someone someone who has a passion and who you know really is fulfilled in, uh, by exercise, you want to cultivate that. And you know, we now know that that exercise is a key element to success in MS. You know, s- exercise slows down brain shrinkage and it sl- it delays disability. And it you know, strong legs buttress you against a future attack. Mm-hmm. And so it's critically important. And yet, to your point, it can become really hard. So how do you do that? So for a former runner, a lot of times I I like to try to find an alternative aerobic exercise. And my go-to is the swimming pool. Because your gait mechanics, which might not be um, what you need them to be to run, might be adequate for you to walk in the pool, jog in the pool, swim in the pool, jazzercise, Zumba, and if you're overheating, well, the water by convection pulls the heat off you. Mm-hmm. And if you're off balance and you fall to the left, the water pushes to the right. And if you have uh, spasticity with a tight limb, the cool water can help alleviate that to some degree. So you can sometimes have success in an aquatic environment when you can't on land. Mm-hmm. I also like people to explore you know, types of exercise that might not uh, be something they thought of in the past. For example, getting involved in yoga. Um, you know, yoga can be a really meaningful and rewarding form of exercise. And it has a lot of benefits that have been studied in MS. And so, you know, a long distance runner doesn't necessarily immediately think of trying out a yoga mat. And yet that can be really fulfilling. I, yeah, um, I agree. So, you know, th- those are where I would start. Sometimes it's helpful to meet up with a neurophysical therapist. Uh, At our interdisciplinary center, we're very fortunate and we have some amazing neurophysical therapists. And so we'll just sit down and have a conversation with them and they can sort of help you game through how am I going to get my run on when I can't run Um, and come up with alternatives.
1: Uh, I had a physical therapist. She wasn't a neuro physical therapist, but she was just, you know, pra- a regular practicing physical therapist. Yeah. She told me because she saw the the desire in my eyes and kind of like the tears where I was like, I, I missed this. Uh, she said, okay, then hold on to the back. This was for me. I can't suggest this for everyone, but hold on to the back of the chair and just simulate running. She said, just imagine yeah. yourself running. So that is a paradigm shift because I was against that. I was like, no, I want to run, you know, and I wanted to fight her for saying yeah, it, you know, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, yeah. I
2: think it's, that's spot on, you know, and and I have some patients that they'll get on a, like an elliptical or they'll get on like a stationary, um, or, you know, a stationary mm-hmm. bike or they'll, get, they'll walk on, on a treadmill where they can hold on to the railings and, you know, they can get a, a legit cardiovascular workout, now they're not, you know, huffing it and climbing hills the way that they might have back in the heyday, but they still get one heck of a legit workout. I'll just take an opportunity and say, you know, a, a few words. I want to try to th- think of what I want to talk about. I guess, and I want to say for for those of you that want to learn more, you know, I'd encourage you to check out the YouTube station. It's Aaron Boster MD. And there's a lot of videos on there. I think that can help someone sort of think about paradigm shifting think about, for example, exercising in a different way. Um, and and I made those videos so that my own patients can kind of watch them between clinic visits and learn. And it's a really meaningful and special thing for me when people that aren't my patients get a chance to learn also. And so I'll just throw that out there as a resource um, in, in case you might find it to be helpful.
1: Absolutely. And if you have any other way that Patients can contact you, you, and you want you would like to share. You can please please do that. Um, that would
0: be awesome.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, we have uh, we have an active Twitter profile at at Ohio Health MS. Uh, we are active on Facebook at, at wow. Ohio Health MS Center. Uh, the YouTube station is Aaron Boster MD. And, you know, there's the website, uh, you, you know, you can type into Google How Health MS Center and, and you can read about us. That's online. awesome. And do you all um,
1: accept, you know, new patients? or are you just, uh, you sound like you have thousands? Oh, you know, we, we
2: see about No, we see about 18 to 20 new patients a week. So we see patients from all over the United States, um, you know, and, and there's several of us uh, that are fellowship trained neuroimmunologists and specialists in multiple sclerosis. It's our life's work. And, you know, we do a lot of clinical trials. We do a lot of clinic care. You know, this is our bread and butter. And it's, it's, um, it's a, it's an honor to get to work with folks, um, trying their best to optimize mm-hmm. themselves and thrive despite having uh, MS.
1: That's, uh, that's incredible. I grew up in upstate New York, um, Buffalo, New York to be exact. And there's such a, a high rate of, well, I, I think reported rate of people who have MS in that whole, like, um, western new york um ohio you know area which you're is yeah you're absolutely right yeah
2: there's I, a lot of hypotheses about that you know there's there's the whole vitamin d story where the farther away from the equator the less sun the less sun the less vitamin d um you know there's there's a whole genetic component where a lot of people from the midwest trace ancestry back to similar locations where there's uh, pockets of gene pools that may predispose populations of people to be more likely to have uh, autoimmunity compared to not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the Midwest, just like the, you know the remainder of the United States, is a, is a really clean environment, and there's a cleanliness hypothesis. So there's a lot of reasons why we see you know an increased incidence of MS in this area. And
1: right. um, well, and Dana's mother and her aunt, they both have MS, and so it's like three people in their family. So that is is that's so interesting to me
2: it certainly it certainly is
1: um okay well i am just so excited and so happy that you gave all of this information and that you gave us your time and i i definitely walked away with some jewels like making your village kind of a part of of the paradigm shift um that is incredible i had to write that quote and i I may quote you on that on our our recap blog
2: (laughs) yeah thanks for having me on i you know i'd love a chance to talk with you guys again sometime
1: absolutely thank you so much and thank our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast with Dawn and Dana. Um, sorry if there's any like weird sounds on our you know, podcast this week. We, we were um, just kind of perfecting our, our sound check. Uh, you can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Myelin Melanin. And also, we have a YouTube channel, um, and you can check us out. Talk to you soon. Bye.
2: Take care. Thanks, Dr. Boster. My pleasure. Take care, guys.